What's up, guys? Welcome to RA Radio. I am Evan. And I'm Rome. And this week, we are talking to Matt Zanis, DPT. And it was a really fun conversation. It was. Matt is full of knowledge. A lot of the stuff that I bring out that I'm like, oh, this is cutting edge. This is coming up. This is what's next. I get from Matt. Um, super intuitive um, and just takes a different spin on the physical therapy world and outlook than a lot of other people do. He's very smart. He's very handsome. He I, is. I he is he, a very good looking dude. He brought up multiple times that he's had a modeling career and I can see why. Yeah, I don't doubt it at all. He's got the, <laughs> got the flowing locks. He's got the knowledge of the body. We talk about movement patterns. We talk about feet. We talk about all the pieces that come together into you know, defining this idea of performance for longevity and how he sees that fitting into the puzzle. And it was a, a really fun chat. Excited for you guys to listen to it. And we teased a little bit. Um, we had his uh, partner, Kendall, on after this, but there's a little teaser for that. So if you wait a few weeks, you're going to get a very interesting and very different episode of RA Radio where we talk to Kendall. 100%. And I think that our conversation with Matt left people with some takeaways where they can take some immediate action. Um, even something as simple as purchasing toe spreaders and working on getting your feet to work uh, better. So I think Matt was a great episode. As Evan said, Kendall was another great episode coming. And um, I'm excited for you guys to listen. Yeah, episode two going really well. Got some good feedback on episode one with Ben. Excited to keep getting these out to you guys. We don't have a lot of announcements right now, aside from we just flipped the gym uh, yesterday as of us putting this out. We did. So a big thank you out to everybody that came in on Sunday to help me. Evan was here. Yosh was here. Joe was here. Becca was here. Gouch was here. Matt Wakely did a ton of work, not even just yesterday, but leading up to the event. Uh, my landlord, Dennis, who put all the supports up on the wall. There was a lot of team effort. Did I miss anyone, Evan? I think that's everyone. I think we got everyone there. Hopefully, and if I did miss you, I really apologize. But it was an awesome team effort. We kind of uh, divided and conquered where we broke into groups and got it all done. Um, the big reason behind this was I wanted to create a better flow for classes. So when you come into the gym, you're going to see a much bigger area in the middle of the gym, which is mainly designed for classes. And you'll see the far end of the gym up on the other side of the turf where we designed that more for RA strength, barbell club, personal training, um, people doing individualized stuff where now they can kind of have their own area to work and the class can kind of have this nice flowing area where everybody is together. So I think hope um, everyone will really benefit from the move that we made. Definitely. It brings everyone together. It makes everything closer. It's a little less, you know, your coach having to yell across the room when you're doing warm-ups and you don't have to, you know, look around people squatting in the middle. It just pushes everything into places that make sense. And it really feels like the room's a lot bigger too. Yeah. The way that the Sornex rigs got broken up and now like the pull downs are on the wall, you can just feel like there's a lot more space in there. I did the math out and I think we gained about 240 square feet of usable floor space immediately like in the actual gym floor. Just by moving stuff around, we gained over 240 feet. So it was a really, I think, a good move. I've been meaning to do it for a while. I've been looking at it. I've been game planning it. I've been like just like staring off in the nowhere in the gym where people are probably wondering what I'm doing. And in my mind, I'm moving all of the pieces around, trying to put it where I want to go. And I'm really happy with how it came out. And hopefully you guys are as well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was definitely a project. Hope we don't have to do it again soon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a cool day. Excited for people to see it. Some little notes. I mean, you'll probably have seen it by the time you're listening to this, but keep your eye out for the rig when you come in the back door. Yes. There are some vertical posts uh, in that area now that you might not be aware of. But otherwise, I think everyone will. There's no other big major changes, but just quickly you know, reassess where barbells are now. A few things are moved around. But I think once you get the lay of the land, it's going to make everything simpler for everyone. 
I agree. Awesome. Only other announcement is uh, Matt and Yosh and I are competing Saturday yeah. at the weightlifting meet in New Haven. So that's exciting and slightly terrifying. My first meet, Matt's second meet, Yosh's 4,000th meet or so, yeah, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. He's done a lot. And I'm really excited for you guys to get down there and do it. In addition to the weightlifting meet coming up, we just wrapped up Squattober, which had a bunch of PR. So congratulations to everybody in the gym who had a PR. And Evan just did a PR five minutes ago with a clean accidentally. Accidentally um, hang clean 286. So there's been a lot of PRs <laughs> in the gym and I, I love it. I love to see people progressing and just doing better all the time. It's really great to see. It's, yeah. It really makes me happy. And, you know, I think Squattober is a good example of, you know, one of the things we talked about with Ben, we talked about with Matt, I think you're going to keep hearing is just like drilling good movement patterns, not necessarily totally crushing yourself every day. You come out to the end of a month and you see a bunch of people set PRs. Um, and so, you know, excited to see what November holds for everyone. And uh, Mandy just redrew the PR board for November. Yeah. So we've got some clean space for people to try some new things and, and set some new personal records. Absolutely. So for the RA strength portion of November, we will be focusing on bench pressing. Uh, so we're going to give the lower body a little bit of a break, the knees, the hips, the low back a break, and we're going to smash some bench pressing leading into December, which is typically our dead December, which means we're going to be deadlifting in December. So if you really want to squat a bunch in November, go for it. But just remember, we have a lot of work coming. We just squatted a lot in October, so it's a good month to give yourself a little bit of a break. And let's hammer home some upper body stuff and get ready for uh, November. Yeah, or December, you, sorry. Get you some, some big guns for Thanksgiving. Everybody wants to look good for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, cool. Well, let's get right into our interview with Matt. Cool. So today we're talking to Matt Zanis, who is a super cool human being. Matt, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, super cool. That's an interesting descriptor word. I haven't gotten that one before. Um, my name is Dr. Matthew Zanis. I am just really a small town boy growing up in the backwoods of Pennsylvania, hunting, fishing, shooting, and pretty much playing sports at a pretty mediocre level. Like it really wasn't all that great. Little brother got all the genetic gifts. I was just always a really hard worker and would practice, 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 train, 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 and kept jacking my shit up. Okay. Right? I was getting hurt every single year uh, until I found strength conditioning, weight training in high school. I went rogue. We weren't allowed to train as baseball players, but I was like, ah, there's something about this that I'm being gravitated towards. So found out really quickly that if I moved better and I strength trained, all these little nagging injuries kind of went away. And now I'm just, I am that guy who has developed this low-key foot fetish as I view all movement through the, the lens of the feet and have used that as my philosophy working with our United States Olympic team. So summer sports uh, and traveling around with USA shooting and then also with our nation's highest level military and everyone in between, including the soccer moms that I see here in Phoenix, Arizona. That's very cool, man. Um, you sort of answered a few of my next questions, but so like you mentioned that you work with, you know, the military and the Olympics and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, normal people. Are you like a self-employed practitioner? Or do you work as a part of a facility or how's that work? Yeah. So when I first moved out here to Arizona, I started out in the insurance-based clinics and that took about two years for me to realize that I hated that system. Yeah. <laughs> I learned really quickly that I'm way too entrepreneurial of a mindset and that I don't like taking orders from people. So it's <laughs> like that point I said, I can't do this anymore. I want to see one person every 90 minutes. I don't want to see four people an hour and I want to develop a higher quality care. So I literally just jumped ship 
I had no plan. I took uh-huh. a big risk and just opened up shop, threw a table in the back of a CrossFit gym here in Phoenix. And that's where it all started. So I opened up my practice about 2016 in and around there at this time. And that then afforded me the opportunity to network, which is I love people, love getting together and, and building connections. So I was able to build connections with our power athlete, mutual friends, and then also our United Olympic team and um, high-level military personnel and start cultivating those relationships as well. So I, I do a, I do a lot from a contractual basis, a lot of consulting, and then uh, seeing people here in Arizona about two to three days a week and training them. Very cool, dude. Very cool. Are you still at Cosenta as well, or have you uh, departed from them? So I've since departed from that uh, situation. I wanted to be able to have a, a larger impact on developing my own purpose yeah. as well. So one of those things, it was a great experience, um, time well spent. And then, you know, I think there comes a time and a place, uh, it was a chapter in yep. my life and of course. Needed, needed to make that transition and chase after the the one thing I've been missing. And that is to go down a lot of this education space realm and start helping coach all these coaches, coach providers, start making a larger impact all over the world. I think that's awesome, man, because you have a huge depth of knowledge that it's really exciting to see you start sharing that from your different experiences and um, diving into some PTs that are just coming out of school and they're very by the book where I know you've expanded on that book mm-hmm. excrementally. <laughs> I like to think that I have over the years. Uh, At least I think you have. From my experience with you, dude, it seemed like you have. Yeah. 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 I, I'm just, I'm a continual learner. Like that, that's one of my strengths. I, I don't like to stay complacent with things because I think being complacent kind of breeds mediocrity in a way. Sure. And I just, I hate not being the guy that knows what to do in a given situation. Right. So I want to be able to have this wide breadth of knowledge, but then be able to apply it in a very in-depth, intimate way with whoever comes across my plate. That makes a lot of sense. So if someone asks you at a bar what you do, what do you tell them? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, if I had to keep it concise, uh, because Rome knows I like to talk and run my mouth a lot, Um, but if I had to keep it concise, I essentially, I help people move better, feel better, and most importantly, build confidence in their bodies to handle whatever life throws their way. That's, That's really the biggest piece. And that's what I think sets me apart from a lot of other um, rehabilitation providers out there is that I'm not your guy that's just going to fix you. Like, that's not what I do. That's not me. I'm not throwing you on a table and manipulating, dry needling, cupping, doing whatever you need to do to take your pain away. I'm giving you the tools yourself to learn about your body, to educate you, and to build that confidence in your own self, to, build, to have that responsibility then to take control of your own body and your own movement patterns and your own pain experience. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So you're like a PT and a strength and conditioning coach and a few other things all sort of slam together. Oh, I joke all the time when I travel with our Olympic teams. I'm like, I'm the PT, I'm the strength coach, I'm the travel coordinator, I'm the psychologist, I'm the team <laughs> mom. Like I <laughs> wear a lot of hats, a lot, a lot of hats with all that stuff. But it all has a time and a place because, you know, the, the big picture, like the big grand scheme of things, everything that ties all those little facets together and all those little disciplines together is communication. Right. So what, what ends up happening is I'm, I'm, a good, I'm really good at developing connections and building rapport and trust. And gotcha. at the end of the day, that is what gets people better because they trusted me to guide them along the way as their coach, which, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm a doctor of physical therapy, but doctor doesn't mean fixer. Doctor means teacher educator. So I'm mm. kind of like the guy that just gives you the guardrails to move with in between. And then you do the work and the effort necessary to fix your own shit. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I Very think it's cool. really cool. Yeah. I think that's something a lot of people need too. 
So we're talking this season about longevity through performance is sort of our, our through line through everything. And so mm-hmm. the first thing we sort of wanted you to talk about was just from your perspective, what are some of the most common myths about longevity and performance? And I guess to tee that up a little more, like I feel like a lot of people perceive them almost as like antithetical to each other. That's like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't squat because I don't want to have a bad back when I'm older. Or, I don't run because I don't want to destroy my knees or I don't. And so like there's this idea that like if you pursue anything which would be perceived as performance related, you're going to have longevity issues. And so what are your thoughts on like, is that true? Is that not true? What do you hear and how do you combat that? I think there is a level of truth to that from the standpoint of we're all operating on this continuum. So there's this continuum of like health and performance and it kind of looks like a bell curve, so to speak, where you have people at one end of the bell curve who are super sedentary, don't really move a lot. Maybe they make poor lifestyle decisions on their food choices and smoking, drinking, all the things that are super detrimental to your health. The other end of the spectrum though, are these go-getters, right? The professional athletes, the Olympians. And I would even lump into that, like a lot of these endurance people, like triathletes, Ironmans, but then also what we're seeing a lot more of now is the the go-getters from the weekend warrior standpoint, meaning they're the gym bros, right? They're the guys going into the gym and they got to hit it hard every single day. Then they feel like they destroyed themselves, uh, for whatever underlying reason that may be, um, but they go in there to feel to be able to feel good about themselves or to justify, you know, looking a certain way from an aesthetic standpoint or being able to earn the right or eat a certain amount of food or a certain kind of food. Um, see a lot of that too. But either end of those spectrum is where we start to see problems, right? That's where we start to see these fringes of these issues start to occur. Whereas the middle of that bell curve is where the optimal health and longevity occurs, meaning you're feeling good. You could do a lot of activity, but you're not so beat up that you need to like sleep 12 hours a day, or you need to take all these different supplements and medications and stuff just to literally get about your day, including caffeine is one of them, right? So like if you're not sleeping enough and you're dependent on caffeine throughout the day, that could be a problem as well, at least an insight sure. uh, sign into like how you're, how you're living your life. Um, so yeah, so to answer that question from like a longevity standpoint, yeah, there's, there's truth to it. And like, understand that if you are purposely and intentionally going after some of these more fringe goals, like, I hope you don't have a goal of like being the most sedentary you can, but I guess there are those, like, this is my 600 pound life type of people. Sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. get money for that. But, um, on the other end of the spectrum though, like if you want to say, go attack a couple Ironmans throughout the year, guess what? You are going to feel some negative ramifications along the way, but as long as you, are acknowledging that, right? And you're aware of that potentially happening, then we can actually justify it, right? right. And, and we can actually then create a program or a plan around that to optimize that level of performance while allowing you to recover at the same time. I like to, to call it your minimal recoverable dose. So how right. much do we need to give you that you can also recover from that allows you to perform at your optimal parameters? Right. That makes sense. And I think maybe, you know, the one thing that I would be curious to push a little further on there is you have, you know, my 600 pound life and then you have Ironman athlete sort of as our two ends of the bell curve. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like people, your average gen pop person has a good calibration of where the middle of that is? Because I think maybe a lot of people are like, 
you know, my, my 10,000 steps a day is sort of the middle of the bell curve. You know, that's like, this mm. is the level of, and anyone like going out and moving anything or practicing movement patterns or lifting anything is like off the other end of the bell curve. And so like from your perspective, like where is sort of the middle of that curve that's like health and performance tied together? You're not destroying yourself. You're not sitting around, but like, how would, how would someone judge, you know, balancing that if that makes sense? That's a very, very difficult question to answer, just from the standpoint of contextual basis, right? So sure. everybody is uniquely different. We're all individuals. And I believe we all have our own unique set point for what is quote unquote normal, gotcha. right? So if you are, let's just say you're on the higher end of the spectrum, doing a lot of these road races, getting after it every week, or maybe going to the gym all the time, your set point for normal is going to be different than somebody who goes and hit, tries to hit their 10,000 steps throughout the day. Yep. Right. So if you start to then either go to either end of the spectrum, so let's just take that gym bro guy who's hitting it hard every day. If you start to lower the volume and the frequency that you're training, it's not going to feel comfortable for you. You're going to feel off, so to speak, versus somebody who's only doing 10,000 steps of walking a day. And you had them do three days a week where the hit training also probably going to feel really uncomfortable because it's, 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 it's on the other end of the spectrum. It's off their set point of normal. Right. And the brain doesn't really know how to compute that right away. So you kind of have to find that middle ground of doing enough that like, hey, if you want to move the needle in one direction versus the other, you have to start making some baby steps and allowing the body to adapt. But more importantly, the nervous system to adapt and accommodate to wherever it is that you want to go. Because I'll be honest, from a PT standpoint, like I get people from both ends of the spectrum and both ends of the spectrum had their different trajectories, right? So the guys that are hard charging, we have to figure out ways that they're in pain or that moving, not moving well. We likely have to lower their activity level for a little bit or change in movement yeah. patterns up, change the frequency, the intensity. And that's going to be just as uncomfortable as taking somebody who's sedentary and has knee pain and getting them to do like stairs for the first time. Sure it's the same dilemma, but you're just attacking it from a different realm or from a different yep. start, starting Absolutely. point. Touching on some individuality with that, right? Like everybody's different. We all have that activity level. And I'm sure that's also a moving marker as well. The more fit you get, the higher that marker goes or the more beat up you get, the lower that marker goes. Right. Exactly. And you brought up like a very interesting point there. It's a stress tolerance standpoint. Mm -hmm. and, and we know that each person, each human body, the organism can only handle a certain amount of stress. And you can start to manipulate, manipulate that by turning different dials. So right. knocking enough sleep is a stressor on the system. Having like arguments and trouble at home with your relationships with your significant others, your kids or whatever. Crank stress stress. the system. Yep. yep. Training in the gym and burning your nervous system out with CrossFit classes every single day is likely going to be a stressor onto the system. So and not eating right, like being inflamed internally from poor food choices stressor on the system and that starts to now have an effect on what your body's feeling your brain's perception of not only pain but also discomfort and soreness and the narratives that we then surround all those different sensations with of pain and injury and what we're telling ourselves of what's going on inside of our bodies right that makes a lot of sense and i guess maybe what i was asking you know i i totally agree and understand the individuality of it um i guess if i were to try to make a suboptimal metaphor there it's like if you, <laughs> if you were to go to someone and say okay you know if you're 35 percent body fat as a male mm -hmm. you probably should go in this direction not that direction and if you're like six percent body fat as a male if you're going somewhere you should probably go in that direction like it's almost like buffers you know mm -hmm. are there any sort of guidelines whether 
physiological or however you would look at that, where someone can assess themselves and say, either I should be trending towards more training stress or less training stress or stress in general. But like the, what are the, what are the buffers on the end of the bell curve? If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great question. So I think that all starts with the individuality standpoint of asking them where they're at, right? So how does their body body feel on a daily basis? Like, does it feel beat up? What does your training look like currently? And then we could ask some deeper questions. Okay, what does it feel like when you wake up in the morning? Are you getting nine hours of sleep yet you're completely beat shit tired, right? For guys, are you waking up with morning wood? Or is that not occurring? That's an insight into testosterone levels and stress levels. Sure. As What's well. that say about your hormones? Yeah. With horm- hormones, exactly. Versus, you know, somebody on the that other end of the spectrum, it's like, well, it, what does your what does your blood work look like? Right. Do you have high stress levels um, from not doing anything? So you, see, you can see how it's contextual in nature and then you could start to intervene with specific interventions to help push that that needle along the direction you want to get to. But you first have to understand where they're at because everybody's yeah. perception of where they're at is going to be different. Right. And like for me, like if as long as people look good, feel good and they're happy, that's the important, those are the important metrics. Right. And if you're coming to me for like an injury or pain or movement dysfunction, yeah, we're going to take some videos and understand how you're moving and then use that as as a physical metric of progression or or for performance. By the end of the day, like you got to be happy in personal life, business, you know, work life, relationships and in training as well and how your body feels. Right. That makes a lot of sense. That should be a yeah. new, uh, you should tell uh, the train heroic guys, you need a morning wood ticker on Absolutely. your uh, session. Out of all of their things being like, so how would you rate that? Yeah. <laughs> Matt and I, is, it, is, it like, is it like rock hard? Or is yeah. That, yeah. Are you yeah, dropping like, a hammer or what? What do yeah. you got going on in the morning? <laughs> Matt and I that always laugh because whenever I fill those out, I always say, got to give myself a happy again today. <laughs> yeah. happy yeah. Is Am I happy? The, I'm Dude, always I a just, four, never a five. I just had some blood work taken uh, a couple weeks ago, and it's like every, all the docs are looking at like the cholesterol levels, the lipids, your stress hormones, cortisol. I'm focused on my testosterone level being 980. I'm like, I don't need to hear anything else. I am good. good. Yeah. Thank God. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm like, I'm only 20 points off of like maxing this test out. How do I get there? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. How do I even get this cranked up higher? Which is awesome, dude. Yeah. That's awesome. What a... Uh, what are your thoughts on in this conversation about longevity, uh, lifespan versus health span? Are you familiar with that sort of juxtaposition? So biological age versus like chronical age? That kind yeah. Of where we're going yeah. With I guess the, the way I've heard it differentiated before yeah. is that like a lot of the research and data that a lot of the public is familiar with regarding health is specifically related to fatality. It's like when you die. And it's not necessarily related to when quality of life deteriorates and the difference between those two things. And the idea of like, are you living your life around a series of studies where you're going to live till you're 95, but everything's going to get rough at 65 versus like, how can you be a savage till you're 80? And if you explode, then you explode then, you know, you know, just sort of that idea of like, what's so I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So w- one thing that we're really good at doing in this country is making people live longer despite that quality of life. Like sure. we, could, we could give you all the drugs and medications, do all the different types of surgeries, heart bypasses, re- I mean, replacements, you know, um, transplants. We can hook you up to a fucking ventilator and keep you breathing until you turn a hundred. And that's the chronological age. 
uh, type of thing versus the biological. So yeah, we were using the same term or different terms, but going after the same meaning there um, with it versus you termed it as quality of life. So how well are you moving later into your, you know, your later years of life? Like, do you have this ability? Do you have energy? Are you moving well? Can you actually, like if you're a grand, grandparent, pick up your kids and stuff, grandkids and stuff like that. And those are all great markers, right? And that's where I kind of come in and my perspective comes in from a you know, movement standpoint, because one of the, the pillars in my brand is vitality. Like that's the V sure. in my movement. And how, what are some ways that we can improve that vitality for the long term? And a lot of that stems into looking at what it is that you're doing. We go back to that whole health performance continuum. And I think people have some really great intentions. Like I think coaches and everything have really great intentions to help people improve their fitness, so to speak, and to make themselves feel better and improve those cardiovascular markers. But we don't really have any long-term data on what all this fitness is doing for people. And I'm using air quotes there because a lot of the high intensity stuff is great from an aesthetic standpoint, it makes you look good on the outside, but I'm more worried about what's going on on the inside of you. Cause that's what really matters from a longevity standpoint, because we are the most physically fit we've ever been in this country. Like seriously, we are the really? most physically fit. Yeah. I believe we're the most biologically unwell. And and that's a really interesting correlation between the two of how that's going to work. I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah. And then we see this, like we could talk about cardiovascular system and everything. Like you see a lot of short term metrics with a lot of this high intensity training or people, you know, getting, trying to get a sweat on every day, which is great. Like you should yeah. be doing that, but there, be, there becomes a rate limiting factor with all this okay. to where you see these longevity benefits up into a certain point, And then it falls off the face of the earth. Because sure. you're, you essentially go over that transition point and you're now on a different trajectory because we're doing too much or we're jacking up the hormones and how they're interacting with each other. Stress levels are too high. Cortisol is too high. We have a, we have a, a, a not good mindset balance as well. Like we're not breathing right. We're not meditating. And all these things can then send you on the more negative trajectory versus having something that's more sustainable for a very long time. And a lot of that has to do with how you're moving. So if I want to provide an example here, if you look at any type of power lifter, strong, strongman competitor, what happens to them after a while, even bodybuilding broken down, right? broken they, down, beat up. They, they, I die, mean, they die early, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like look at the Ronnie Coleman story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that Netflix. dude can't even walk anymore. I think he said every vertebrae in his back fused or, I mean, I listened to that podcast with him on Rogan and he's got like cages around his whole vertebrae. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So he essentially just didn't talk to the right people. He should have never yeah. had that first surgery because that's what sent him on that downward spiral. But the, the, the point is being is that like, hey, all these different performance metrics of you busting your ass every single day, it allows you to be really good at that activity. But yep. now I know plenty of people I know a guy that you and I know very well together, Rome, is that he doesn't walk very well. Okay. Right? You know, it's like it's it starts to degrade your joints, and that's part of the internal piece of it. So, like, yep. if, if you can't move your joints to their fullest ranges of motion against gravity, which is it's never changing, that's the one constant, right? We know yep. that's always happening all the time. You're going to start adding additional levels of stress into the same tissues over and over and over again, and that accelerates the tissue breakdown. And then what happens is your body, like it does one of two things. We either get compensation patterns and new compensation patterns to offset the old ones when those ones are no longer usable or male ego usually gets involved and we essentially break ourselves. We take ourselves so far down that path 
that we actually lead into pathological tissue damage or injury. And then once again, you keep going around and around the circle because we never actually took a step back to look at this from a higher level and like, oh, maybe we should change up the frequency of this, or maybe we should change up the movement patterns. Maybe we should have somebody actually intervene and look at the way that they're moving and figure out, hey, you're not connecting your feet, your knees, and to your hips and allowing for these natural biomechanical processes to occur. You're just beating the shit out of your body every day for the external appearance of looking good. Yeah. Or right. for performance. Like there's there's a big difference there. Right. That makes a lot of sense. What are your thoughts on, um, I feel like one of the most common things that I hear, especially from, you know, middle-aged into older men specifically is like, oh, I'd love to do stuff, but I have a bad back. Like what leads to all these bad backs? <laughs> oh man. Uh, here we go with the first soapbox. This is going to be good. Okay. So back, back pain is the leading cause of going to visit your medical provider. There's okay. like, Nine out of 10 people experience back pain in their lives. And we are no better today at helping people with it. Like the incidence is still rising despite every type of intervention that we can put out there. So we must be doing everything right, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So that, here's what starts to happen. People uh, listen to these same type of narratives, these medical providers, and we start assigning labels to what's going on. We start creating these stories in our head around what's happening in our back. We hear it all the time. Oh, you got slipped discs. Really? Really? Where are they going? Where did they slip to? Right? You got degeneration in the discs or you got like shortening your disc space. Well, guess what? As you age, you wrinkle on the outside, you wrinkle on the inside too. All that stuff normal. Oh, and by the way, we can MRI and x-ray a million freaking people and 90% of them are going to come back with all these things that I just mentioned yet be completely pain-free. So is, so is there even really a correlate to this stuff? But this is where, you know, having a conversation about pain in general is so, so important because pain is so multifactorial, right? It involves the physical side of things, but it also involves the fear and the anxiety and the stories that we associate with it or our past conditioning about how we were, you know, how we were raised as kids and the way our parents treated us when we kind of fell down and scraped our knee. Like all sure. that starts the storytelling, the story making that we have now associated with pain. So then all of a sudden we experience some level of discomfort in our back. And where does our brain go right away? What do we think of? Yeah, right. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm injured. I'm, hurt. I, I, I'm injured. Yeah. When really you could have, we call this psychosomatic in nature. You could have an argument with your girlfriend and the next day experience pain in your back because that's where you're holding a lot of your stress. Like that's just real. Yet we'll think back to, oh, it must have been the deadlift that I did yesterday. There must right. have been something mechanically wrong there. When in yeah. reality, it's like there really are no bad movements or just lack of preparedness for the movements. Okay. Yeah, so with, with the back pain thing, it's and we see it all the time, like so, so many uh, different, I think, sources of what could be contributing to it. But if we want to talk physical, the physical pillar, and from a movement standpoint, which is you know kind of my specialty with all this, I see a lot, of the, a lot of the back pain coming and stemming from the feet as well. So we're missing that connection to the foot and the hip. So then our back ends up taking essentially a lot of that additional stress that we talked about earlier. And we keep using our low back for things like hip extension, like when we walk or we run, or like it's staying in this one position over and over and over again. Those tissues just get stressed out until your brain's like, hey, we had enough. We need to change something up, do something different. Right. So can you dive into how your feet would affect your back? 
great. Yeah. <laughs> He's just waiting to go get, on feet. The minute, minute we say feet, we'll uh, see you in 20 minutes. I, mean, I, go I tell people a lot. I was like, feet are like the next frontier of what's coming <laughs> with what we do. But a lot of me saying that comes from you. So I'd love yeah. to hear you talk yeah. about it and be like, so, hey, man, you're the foot dude. You tell me about uh, it. <laughs> you, just gave, you just gave the guy with the low-key foot fetish a big lob, right? Toss Do it, it up, man. <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, at this point, I don't think it's even low-key anymore. I think it's just, it's, it's just a part of who I am. Uh, hey, that's all right. <laughs> the joke is Everybody's got a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that is kind of my thing. Uh, yeah, so the, the feet essentially are our first point of contact with the ground. They literally transmit every little ground reaction force up the rest of the chain. So when your foot hits the ground, there are forces sent through your knee, through your hip, up into your trunk. And then if like you're throwing a baseball, out into your hand. Like that's how it happens every single day. Yet what happens when people have back pain, where do we start looking? Where the pain exists. Where the pain is. And we do everything in our power possible to try and put out that fire, be it manipulations, mobilizations, cupping, needling, doesn't really matter. Name the Band-Aid you can put on there. And we try to mask the pain, including medications, right? Sure, Which is another absolutely. interesting topic of this whole masking the pain. I think that we're, I think we're setting ourselves up for further failure with all this because we're not letting people endure it enough. Okay. We're not letting people to endure the pain experience and to understand exactly what it is and, and what it means for the body. And we're just taking it away so quickly um, that we never actually build any tolerance to it. So. That's that may be a topic of discussion for another day, but uh, going back to the, the the feet thing too, with the feet being the first point of contact and transmitting all that energy up the chain, they initiate the feedback response that it, that essentially sends the chain of biomechanical reactions in place. Right. Okay. So, for example, if you can't not get onto your big toe knuckle, you can't extend your hip, which means that if you can't extend your hip, your low back is going to come into play to have to extend it for your body. Because your brain is always trying to accomplish a task, i.e. walking. So when you sure. walk, it's going to make sure you can get from point A to point B, despite what's going on mechanically in the body. And you don't know anything. Like, that's your set point of normal, remember? Until you've used up that ability or that compensation pattern, and all of a sudden, your, your brain is telling you about it. Another, another great point is if from wearing shoes all day long, we don't allow our feet to get any sensory information. Yep. through the bottom of them where all we're feeling is the cushion of the shoe or like the hard whatever surface is that we're on like think about olympic weightlifting shoes like hard platforms stuff like that and yep. what happens is, is our brain now doesn't have i call it like nutritional information so we're not getting the sensory feedback into the brain to tell the body how to move so you know our definition of athleticism is the ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal moving patterns through space to accomplish a known or novel task Damn, John would be proud about that, I think. <laughs> uh, but that seamless and effortless movement is our proprioception and our kinesthetic awareness, which is essentially your body knowing where it's at in space at all times and knowing how to move on its own without you having to think about it. So if we're, in, if we're in moon shoes all the time, you're not getting that sensory feedback. And our brain's image of what's going on from a movement pattern standpoint is very unclear. It's very distorted and fuzzy. So... One of the biggest pieces of low-hanging fruit that we can do is start to take the foot barefoot <laughs> and actually have experience the environment the way that it was intended. Because I'm all about making the largest amount of impact in the shortest amount of time. I can make a very large impact literally just by teaching people how to move their feet better 
and to expose them to different environments and get the function restored back in the feet and wake them up. And that will have upstream effects into what's going on in the rest of the body. I think that we're naive to think that isolating at a certain joint or trying to focus on a certain joint is going to have all these downstream effects. It doesn't work that way. Like we have to sure. start where we can actually make the largest impact, which is in the feet, to be able to have that trickle-down effect into impacting the way the whole entire rest of the body is moving. So step one with that would be take your shoes off, take your socks off, let your feet uh, start yeah. sensing some of this stuff. Take your pants off, then take, just keep going up. We're talking about a whole different party. Take, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, you come out to here to Arizona, we'll make that happen. Oh. <laughs> so and I, I, I've heard you talk about, um, is it no BOSU or like the inserts that you can put to put in your shoes. So if taking your shoes off aren't an option, there are things that you can put in your shoes so you can get the sensory perception as well, right? I'm standing on a mat right now that has the same type of technology. So, okay. Yeah, so essentially giving yourself the opportunity and setting up your environment in the way to be successful is the first step, right? Okay. So like you just mentioned, okay, we can be standing on a textured mat get information barefoot like for most people are working from home nowadays with everything going on so it's a perfect opportunity to take control of your home environment and start to optimize things there but then yeah like i understand i'm a realist like mm -hmm. you can't be barefoot all the time i mean i push those limits a little bit in places that i go here in arizona <laughs> um it's finally like not so hot that if you step outside you're going to scold your feet uh so i've been walking around i will do walks around the block and stuff barefoot all the time like my neighbors must have stories about what I do. Uh, <laughs> just, I'm that hippie guy, right? Barefoot with long hair. Yeah, long hair, probably not wearing a shirt walking around or what is this guy doing? <laughs> you know I never wear a shirt. Like the fact that I actually have one on right now is pretty surprising. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like you could actually get uh, insoles. Naboso does make insoles to put into the, into the shoes and you're starting to get that sensory stimulation into the bottom of the feet and that is going to now make that brain picture that much clearer you but like some other actionable items like if people are in these very cushiony shoes or even in shoes that are on more of an incline so think like uh heel to toe drop to millimeters so sure. girls familiar high heels but most guys shoes are also about three to five millimeters from the heel to the toe it's puts you on this slight decline yep. and that will change the mechanics going up the chain um so with that I, what shoe would you recommend so with that, you have to be smart about right about it, right? It's progressive overload. <laughs> the same thing with your feet is the same way you progressive overload a back squat or a deadlift. Okay, yep. you cannot go cold turkey. So if you're in orthotics and you're in these moon shoes or in a high heel to toe drop, going barefoot is probably going to be a little uncomfortable for you. So sure. the way that I recommend people do this is you start by if you're wearing orthotics, take the orthotics out and wear just your shoes until your feet get sore. And then okay. put the orthotics back in. So if that happens within the same day, put the orthotics back in and continue going about your day. And then your goal is to get it to the point where you can go a whole entire day without the orthotics in. And once you can reach that point, then we take what is typically all these shoes have some level of an insert in them already. We take that insert out and the same process occurs. You walk gotcha. around now without the orthotics, without the insert until your feet get sore, throw them back in until you can get a full day like that. And then we can start talking about taking you lower and lower into more minimalist style shoe to eventually get you barefoot. Now, when you're at home, I believe you can start training this even earlier, right? So okay. in the safety and the comfort of your own home, I encourage people to walk around barefoot, walk outside, like step in the grass. I know it's getting cold for you guys up there in the Northeast right now, um, but like let your feet experience the cold of snow. It's good sure. for them, right? So give your feet the opportunity to do that 
And then the other part of the equation here is something that I recommend to everybody are toast spreaders. Right. Real. I bought some from your recommendation. I think it was actually from your yeah. recommendation to my brother-in-law, Tucker, where you're like, you need to get those. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'll get them too. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And uh, listen, they're seven bucks. Seven bucks yeah. on Amazon. I should. I still think you should brand your own. Yeah, I need to start branding my own. That's, it's, you talk it's about them all the time, man. You got to just have them on your website, sell oh. them, and be good to go. Put Team USA on them, sell them for 100 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> they're, special. they're special. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Spada, special you know, material of silicone or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, getting these toe spreaders on, it will essentially take your toes, which are used to being compressed in shoes all day long, yeah. and spreads the toes out. So now we take all those little muscles that are in between the toes, and we put them in a better length tension relationship, meaning they can work better. If you've ever experienced a tight muscle, which is shortened, if the toes are together, you know it doesn't work very well. So okay. now we gotta allow the, the muscles in the, in the foot experience this lengthening and to start to work again to wake them up give them a job to do same thing occurs though you cannot wear them all day long okay <laughs> your feet will likely get sore and hate you after a little while and you can take them off and then once again go about your day and or be able to use them in with uh some specific exercises and stuff to help strengthen up your feet which is what i typically do with people it's like hey go get these toe spreaders and then here are some movements that i want you to also complete along with them by wearing them and start to challenge the foot to work in these different planes of motions and these different patterns. Earlier, you mentioned being able to get onto your big toe knuckle. Do you mm -hmm. see that most people can't do that and they're kind of like rolling to the outside of their foot to avoid that flexion of their big toe? Is that kind of where you're getting with that of their, does that, how does that, how does that work? Yeah. So if you ever experience a bunion, <laughs> okay. people know what they are. They're not yep. genetic. Okay, they're environmentally driven, meaning if you are in shoes all day long, which squish your toes together into this like V shape, it tells the toe to start to essentially form that way. And that's how it adapts. And it will lay down extra bone on the outside to just bolster it up since you aren't going through the big toe. We gotcha. need the big toe to push off, right? That big toe, it's like a wheelbarrow. So if you ever used a wheelbarrow before, it can handle yep. a lot of heavy load. That big toe is designed to do that. And if okay. we don't ever go through it, like, yeah, your whole body weight when running, jumping, sprinting, walking, it can handle all that against gravity. And if you are never pushing through that big toe and just going around it, it further reinforces that bunion formation. And we gotcha. need that big toe, like I said, to access your ass. Okay. It's the key to your booty. So Absolutely. If, hey, Absolutely. Ladies out there, if you want to build a big booty, you need to find your big toe. That's how we get after that. <laughs> That's Got awesome. Um, yeah, and but that's what we talk about too, right? Like uh, yeah. grip the ground with your toes, push your big toe down before your squat. That's pretty much exactly what you're talking about, right? You want to turn on your hamstrings and your ass, push your big toe down. Exactly, exactly. And like from a longevity standpoint, keeping in with the theme of the conversation here, that big toe then will allow the hip to biomechanically do what it needs to do from a rotational standpoint. So you're not constantly wearing away just certain surfaces of the joint every okay. time you go into a deadlift, every time you go into a squat. Very cool. And to yeah. get to use that big toe and that big toe knuckle more, what I'm hearing is, hey, go barefoot more because that'll let you use your foot in a more natural pattern. And if your toes mm -hmm. are super cramped, throw your toe spreaders on for a couple minutes a day and it's going to yeah. help you. Yep. And it'll put the, to put the big toe into a good position to function well. Cool. Also, side warning here, do not wear them to bed at night. 
I tried that. <laughs> unless you want to, unless you really want to experience like a knife-like stabbing cramp in the bottom of your foot, and oh, knife, don't Jesus. recommend it. That's oh, the yeah. worst, yeah. especially when like you're swimming and you're like, oh my foot, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly, um, exactly. Dude, I think that's so. <laughs> does this advice go across the board for people with flat feet compared to people with high arches compared to people that have pretty optimal arches in their feet? Is this advice kind of across the board? Everybody should be doing something like this. Everybody should be doing something barefoot, training barefoot. If you if you're not, you're leaving a lot on the table. Um, okay. From one a performance standpoint, but also in reducing our risk of pain and injury as well along the way. Now you brought up like flat feet versus high arches. Um, this is goes back to the stories. Like we so we developed these stories around back pain and what's going on, and we essentially demonized pronation. Right. So a flat footed posture essentially boogeyman it's evil sure. you're gonna have all your injuries because of that your knee pain is because of that versus having a higher arch your foot or you know the bottom of your foot lifted up off the ground more as being like this gold standard for foot function yep <laughs> where you think but that's that could, optimal you do that like test yeah. where you stand on that like glass step and they look underneath your feet and you're like all right your contact oh, points dude, are here dude, and this dude. is where you should be yeah big picture is you need to be able to experience both of them and move between them really okay you that's cool you need to be able to flatten your foot to the ground, and you also need to be able to lift the arch up. They're okay. both important. And actually, to make yourself have a better arch, which a lot of flat feet, flat-footed people, myself included, like 95% of people have flat feet, just putting that out there. Okay. It's very common, very, very common. Um, but the function of the foot is what matters. So counterintuitively, what most people think is like they want you to do this lifting motion. They call it like a short foot exercise or essentially just practicing driving your big toe into the ground and lifting the arch of your foot up off the ground. Yep. You need to actually allow your foot to pronate more. Okay, and let <laughs> that arch collapse a little. Let it go more, and then that will stimulate all those muscles in the bottom of the foot to actually resupinate. Interesting. And to actually lift the arch. It's the same exact analogy that if you want your hip extensors to fire, so your glutes and your hamstrings, yep. you need to be able to be really good at flexing your hip and like pulling your knee to your chest. Okay, yeah. Right, so that's like like one of the best cues in your squatting to actually pull yourself down into the ground. Yep. Because then you're stimulating the hip flexors to pull the hip extensors into a good position to actually fire and work efficiently. Mm. And like a great analogy for people is like if you picture a octopus or a squid like swimming through the water, that's essentially what pronation and supination are. So the tentacles opening up is your pronation where your foot flattening to the earth. The tentacles coming together and propelling the octopus forward. Is the exact same as thing as supination, creating that rigid lever to propel you, your body forward. Very cool. Right. That's really cool yeah. information. That makes sense. And it's sort of, I mean, it sounds to me sort of similar to some of the stuff that I've heard around even like um, your being able to go through range of motion with your spine and that it's so easy to demonize, you know, any of this sort of hunching and that your body needs to be able to go into that arch and that hollow position and to be able to experience both and be strong in both for a lot of movements. And that if we strictly say always neutral all the time, you really take a lot off the table of what the body's actually designed to be able to do to move well. I would think that exactly. would be really fun. If you get into this position and you never train this position, you're going to get hurt here. But if you're right. used to being here, or not used to it, but you can be in this position, you'll probably be safer, I would assume. Right. Yeah. Well, and then that comes down um, to the fact that, like, okay, are you actually going to experience pain in that position? It's not a guarantee, right? But if yeah. your brain feels like it's a threat going into that position, it's probably going to do one or two things. It's either going to elicit a pain response or it's going to tighten you up like crazy to prevent you from going into that position because it feels like you can't control it or right. you don't have any experience going into it. And that's like my big, big problem with people demonizing um, all these other positions of like the spine for low back pain 
And it comes from two different sources. One being we try to focus on this neutral spine. Like I'm using air quotes here because there really, there is no, yeah, there really is no neutral. Like when you are actually squatting or deadlifting, your low back's moving, folks. Hate to break it to you. It's not locked into place. It's not rock solid. No, it's not. Like your vertebrae are moving because it's a system, right? There's so many muscles attached between your hips and your pelvis and your rib cage and your uh, lumbar vertebrae and everything. There's so much going on. And you actually get about 20 to 30 degrees of like little rotations and flexion extension happening in the vertebrae. Uh, so there's a lot going on right there. And like, if you actually try to stand still, so like you stand up right now, close your eyes and try to stand still. What are you going to feel? Like You're you, swaying all over the place. Yeah. Like you yeah. got to move. Never, never still. Um, so yes, yeah, like having a quote unquote optimal position for squatting or deadlifting 500 pounds. Yeah. It's probably a good idea to be able to use your hips the way that they're designed to. Okay. But we shouldn't also demonize it because that set point of quote unquote neutrals only as strong as the end ranges. Here we go back to our continuum again, right. right? You need to be able to experience lumbar flexion or rounding through the spine just as much as you need to be able to experience extension of the spine or straightening of it. Just like you need to experience pronation of the foot and supination of the foot and be able to move through them. Because if you strengthen up both ends, your set point now becomes that much stronger in the middle. Very cool. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about um, sort of coming back maybe to the the back pain thing, or it could go in a number of mm-hmm. different ways, but some of this idea of like, could you explain to people how the neurological systems for some of these pains and trigger points and things that like, I think a lot of people would say like, Oh, I like pulled or tore my back deadlifting or something. And, you know, my understanding is that's not actually exactly how that works and why your body locks up tissue like that. So can you explain sort of stability and strength in positions and why your body is doing that to you and that you're not necessarily actually loading and tearing your bicep or your, your QL or anything else? Mm-mm. Yeah. So unless you experience like actual black and blueness, like that's where tissue damage has occurred, right? To where you've essentially lengthened tissue so much that it starts to tear apart. Sure. So think of a ter- torn hamstring. Like, yeah, that is legitimately torn muscle tissue. <laughs> yep. That'll happen if it's black and blue and swollen and whatnot. But with back pain, what we typically see is it's just a threatened position. Your brain becomes defensive over your body moving into a certain range. And it will lock things up right away to prevent you from going into it more. Now, once that initial reaction occurs, that's where people kind of get confused. They're like, well, I went into it. I wasn't prepared for it. My brain told me about it. But why is it continuing on for eight weeks? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Because it's an alarm system. So like when your fire alarm goes off, right, once you go in there and reset the batteries or you can turn it off, the, the brain just keeps sounding the alarm the same way until you go actually go up there and shut the alarm system off. And the only way that you can shut that alarm system off is through movement and teaching your brain that it has control over that position, which means, guess what? You need to move into that position again and maybe even create some motor. Hey, maybe in the beginning you need to go in the opposite way to take the defensive nature of the brain away and then start to reintroduce that pattern again. It's exactly what I do with everybody where if you come in with back pain, let's say you heard it deadlifting, Mm -hmm. which is that hinge position, you're likely in some extension. We're probably going to go the opposite way first and create a lot of novelty, a lot of variety in the beginning just to keep you moving. And that in and of itself will help to lower the pain response because it's to your brain, you're still a functioning organism, you're still moving, you're still accomplishing tasks throughout the day, and you're still getting into these positions that we once thought was bad for you to get into. And now you can start to reintegrate those into your daily training program. Gotcha. So it's less of like you 
or, or we'll say in general for a lot of these sorts of things, it might be less that you broke yourself than you think you did and more that your mm-hmm. brain is trying to protect you from a position that you're not either ready yeah. for or you're loading too much or whatever else. Exactly. And this is where it even gets tricky because um, with low back issues, you could actually have referral patterns from the hips, which mm. we see a lot of times. So like if your hip's not moving in a certain way because your foot's not functioning appropriately, you can start to get referral patterns up into the low back or down into the leg, which is what then people associate with a disc problem. Right. right? But in reality, it's just that your hip's not functioning the right way or you overloaded it in a certain pattern. Now I'm telling you about it uh, because the only time that I ever refer anybody with back pain to a, like a medical provider for an assessment like an MRI or an x-ray is literally if you cannot control your pure poop. That's really? it. Really? Yep. I think that's yeah, probably that's a good it. time to refer someone. <laughs> like, Man, I'm shitting point. my pants twice a day. I don't know what's happening. Like, you should get that checked. You should go to a doctor. <laughs> yeah, or or if you have back pain and don't have a boner in the morning where you can't get hard, that's also another. Interesting. You know, it's, all, interesting. it's all in there in the same area. So I'll have, have to keep an eye on that now. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Pulling it back just a little bit, um, sure. talking about feet, talking about walking around barefoot, uh, would you recommend people train barefoot? I, I think I would know the answer to this, but I want to hear it from you. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent is the question to that. And guess what? It's going to be uncomfortable in the beginning. Sure. <laughs> it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel awkward. That's okay. That means you're you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. The biggest, like honestly, the biggest backlash I get to this is from a cleanliness standpoint. Sure. Which it, it drives me nuts because, like, if you think about the surfaces that the bottom of your shoe comes in contact throughout your entire day. And then you go to the gym at like six o'clock at night. Like what are you tracking in there? Yeah, absolutely. Versus like, let's leave your shoes at the door and go in and train barefoot. Your feet are likely a whole hell of a lot cleaner. And we actually have validated research that shows this. Right. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Your your feet are actually cleaner than the bottom of your shoes. So like, I don't buy that argument whatsoever. But once again, training barefoot is going to be able to stimulate the bottom of the foot. It's going to allow the natural mechanics to start to be um, reintegrated into the system. Mm. And are, is that Nomosu mat pretty similar to like the horse stall mats that we use in the gym, you know, like the little diamonds or so that, that mat's a lot different or is it similar? Mm. How does it look? It's a lot different. So like okay. the, the horse stall mats, like you can have flat ones, just flat rubber, but I know yeah. which ones you're talking about. It has you know, like the little diamonds, diamonds on them. there. Yeah. So these are diamonds as well, but they're okay. like so close together mm. within millimeters of each other. Um, and that has to do with, stimulating what we call two-point discrimination it's just it's a it's a brain mechanism um of what if it senses from a sensory standpoint of superficial stimulation so that's like the surface of the skin versus deep stimulation like imagine rolling your foot on a lacrosse ball that is stimulating receptors deeper into like the ligaments and the tendons and the fascia deep inside the foot versus yep and like different so we call them like golgi tendon organs and muscle spindles and all that so yeah, you're, and you're getting different um, simulation of these little organelles, which sends different information up to the brain. So it's important to do both is the big picture okay. without getting into the, the nitty-gritty science of it all. Sure. Uh, but, you, you, yeah, you need to be able to, to stimulate both of those. So like train barefoot, your, train on a mat, train not without a mat, train wherever, pretty yeah, much be barefoot all. and let your feet experience anything that they can experience. Hot, cold, doesn't really it matter. Doesn't matter. Yep, the more variety, the better. Very cool. That's interesting. It's like I used to, um, I've definitely squatted and deadlifted barefoot in the past. The idea of doing like behind the neck jerks barefoot today scares the heck out of me. Like I feel like I would die if I tried to do that. Well, think about the limiting factor of that. It's going to be your big toe. Right. On your back leg. 
Because yeah. if you shoot that guy back there and, and you don't have your big cushiony shoe to brace with and you don't have big toe extension, right. that, You're gonna that's not going to feel good. So that, <laughs> <laughs> that's where context comes in, right? Like right. understand your limitations. And that's where it's important to get with somebody who's actually looking at this stuff and, and understanding where the, the holes are essentially in your movement literacy, um, so to speak. So then we can start to give you some intervention, start to refill those gaps. And right. Refill the holes of your movement literacy literacy limitations. Right. But think about this from a shoe standpoint with squatting. Like you ever and I I was one of them. I was guilty of this too. Where I used to blow out the sides of my vans all the time. Sure. All the time. So I didn't know how to actually create tension and torque in my feet. So I was using the shoe as an external resistance to push out against. Yep. And when when I had to actually when I started to train myself to be squatting barefoot, took myself out of the shoes for the first time, I was like holy shit, like I can only squat down to about like 50 degrees because yeah, I crazy. couldn't control the rotate. Yeah, yeah. And then that that starts to, um, you could tell then why so many people have like lateral ankle problems, hamstring issues, and low back issues because you're constantly pushing out into this lateral chain of the body and over-utilizing these tissues over and over and over again. Right. And I mean, I, I, I agree with you on that. I, probably the start of the COVID lockdown, I was training at home more often and I decided to lose my shoes. So I was training barefoot, squatting, pulling, pressing, whatever without mm-hmm. my shoes. And I actually prefer that a lot more than like these guys will see me in the gym all the time, kick my shoes off when I'm about to lift because I want to yeah. lift without my shoes. I'm being professional. When I go to train people, I throw my shoes back on just yeah. so they're not looking at me being like, hey, where'd your shoes go? But um, to your point, man, I, I really did. enjoy training without shoes. I've gotten it to the point now of two things. Number one, it feels really freaking awkward to train with shoes on. Yeah. Like I don't want to do it. Even in like minimalist shoes, I just my my brain's like, what are you what are you doing? This is yeah, weird. why are these? And then and then number two, from a professionalism standpoint, people look at me weird when I'm in shoes now. So <laughs> like I, yeah. Like, like I'm what's going on the clinic all day long. Yeah. How <laughs> gotta own it. How receptive is the USA teams to this information? Where you're like, hey guys, take off your shoes. Hey, do this, do that. Because I know there's some probably some PT dogma that exists in the team USA's, and I don't know if you want to dive into that or not. But how receptive um, are they to you? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little politically correct with this, but sure. like I of went course. up, uh, <laughs> I went up to the training center in Colorado, and I literally gave an hour and fifteen long uh, minute presentation on the foot and stimulation and training barefoot and how important it is for athleticism and for reducing the risk of injury. And <laughs> I shit you not guys, like literally within an hour of giving this presentation, I am barefoot in the clinic, in the clinic, helping sure. athletes with their feet and got yelled at to put my shoes back on. I'm like, what were you guys not listening to anything I just said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But at, at that point, it's like, okay, I get it. There, there are rules. There are regulations here. We have to abide by the rules and the regulations. Um, so I would, I would have to conform and be respectful, of course. Um, but at, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, the more we can train barefoot, the better. And from a, from a dogmatic standpoint, it's a lot of PTs, a lot of provi- providers, we pay a lot of money to go to school and learn certain set of education a dogmatic Mm -hmm. education sure and it's a big hit to your ego and to your identity to take in new information and actually apply it because it from an identity standpoint like you assume that you've been doing something wrong but that's where it comes in it's like it's the bruce lee mentality of empty your cup cup and take your information right empty your cup it's like it's it's that's one of my favorite lines my favorite quotes because guess what 
six to eight years ago, I wasn't barefoot. Yep. I wasn't training people bare. I wasn't even looking at the feet. And I was essentially a mobtard trying to manipulate and mobilize people into better movement and better health. And guess what? It didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't work for the long term, at least. Like I had yeah. short term benefits, but it wasn't it wasn't what I was after. It wasn't fulfilling this purpose of helping people fix their shit for the long term. Right. Like that's that's what it's about. Um and it it's it's one of those things too where you, it's almost and this is this is actually established in the literature as well. It takes like five to seven um, repetitions of like telling somebody something before they actually apply it, and that's yep. just that's across the board with clients or with PTs learning new information. You actually have to be open to it and ready to it. It's like the old line where um, the student is ready, the master will appear. Yeah, you know, the thing like you have to be aware of it, you have to be open to it before you can start um, learning about it and utilizing it. Makes a lot of sense. And then could you talk a little bit about uh, sort of jumping back to, I think, an earlier point is this idea of movement patterns and unstable movement patterns creating pain and this bell curve to sort of, I think, tie those ideas together is I think movement patterns and neurological patterns are something that a lot of people take for granted. And I, I know that I've taken for granted in my life up until recently. Um, and, and I still run into a lot of stuff with that. Um, I, I've recently showed a, a good friend of mine, super athletic dude was a, uh, national college wrestler and stuff, a video of me, uh, snatching, you know, a week or two ago. And it's sort of, uh, it ends up getting powery whenever it gets heavy sort of situation. And he was like, Oh man, you work on your mobility a little and you'll be right there. And I was like, dude, it is not a mobility thing for me. Like I can overhead squat to death. Mm-hmm. but it's a Nervous it's a system. body panicking when it gets heavy sort of thing there it's a lack of comfort and he was like oh i guess that makes sense and the way i tied it to him is like you know when you know how to do a backflip but your body doesn't want to do a backflip it's like that's <laughs> sort of the way that i explain it to people is like your body yeah. panics and it does the wrong thing just in an effort to protect itself and I think, you know, as we talk about the bell curve between sedentary and Ironman athlete and performance for longevity, it's like maybe it doesn't look like you trying to snatch 500 pounds. Maybe it doesn't look like running 50 miles a day, but there's a value in training these movement patterns, even under limited loads, because you will maintain stability and proficiency of movement that then later in life, you don't go to, to squat down to pick up your grandchild and your whole back locks up because it forgot how to do that. You know, and I think that's probably something that maybe a lot of people don't understand is that whole stability and and movement efficiency. But I mean, does that make sense as far as just this idea yeah. of, of we're not necessarily, you don't have to push the load needle as hard as, as hard as maybe we think we do, but you need to push that proficiency of movement thing to then avoid a lot of these issues that people are experiencing later in life. Yeah. Be, before I paint the picture for what you just asked, that you talking about doing a backflip just brought me back to the last time I was on a boat out here in Arizona. And I did a handstand on the bow and tried to do like a really cool flip off the back end. Belly flop right into the water. Like I came, <laughs> I came this close to like smacking my freaking face oh. off the edge of the boat. Yeah, um, <laughs> dude. Side note: How's your handstand work going for you? Because I know what last time I saw you, what that was in February, you were getting pretty close yeah. to those handstands. How's it going? I can hold now for about twenty seconds freestanding. That's, That's awesome. awesome. That's pretty amazing. But what's even more important is my project balls to the floor. So oh Jesus! Your splits. Working work these splits now in the middle splits and the forward backward splits. I'm super, super close. And that brings up an interesting point too. Like I've been into this now for like a year and a half and I'm probably about 80% there, but that's like what needs to happen. That's how long it takes for the, the body to adapt, so to speak. Um, but yeah, but actually I will tie in the stability question that you just, you just asked there too. 
And what I'm going to do is, is start this off by just painting a little picture of an analogy. So I'm 6'1", 205. My partner, Kendall, she is 5'10", about 135 pounds. Our hips are the same exact height. And my hips, right? So I'm 6'1", my hips are the same exact height as a girl. I need to um, squat wider with my toes just a little bit turned out to go full depth. Okay. She can squat ass to grass with her knees and ankles completely together. Interesting. Okay. Same hip architecture aside from the standpoint of my hips have a lot more inherent bony stability. They're deeper versus her is they're a little more shallow. Women have you know, wider hips. They can actually have a lot more range of motion there. And the reason why I'm telling you this is when it comes to the splits, the stability, this motor control stamp uh, facet comes into play. So she was a dancer her, ento- her entire life. She could sit down on the ground, pancake position, legs spread wide, and push her face on the ground. Crazy. In front of her. Okay. I can't do that. Not going to happen. Yep. I can get cool. Eh, I'm like halfway there. Dude, I can't even I like can lean go, forward. <laughs> I can go into the middle splits and go down further than she can. Interesting. And what's the difference, right? It's a difference between passive mobility and control of stability through range. Okay. Or mobility, right? So active mobility. So she has the passive ability. She has the structure to just get herself into that position. Whereas I know how to control my hips better because I know how to connect my feet to my hips and pull myself down to these positions because my brain senses that I have control over it. So if you think about this from a back pain standpoint too, and actually you, you, you brought up a great, great example about like the instability and snatching and all that. Like I look for that. I look to expose people into those ranges. Because our mobility is limited by our, the extents of our stability. So if you're not st- stable at an end range, your brain's not going to open up that mobility. So if you picture um, your center of mass is about an inch below your belly button at your L4, L5 vertebrae. Ironically enough, the site of most back pain and also the two most mobile vertebrae in the low back <laughs> is oh. right there at your L4, L5. And with it being so mobile, it need, you're essentially like trying to manage that center mass throughout all your movement patterns. Okay. So for example, if we wanted to improve the mobility of your spine, we'd have to take you into these end ranges that you're not comfortable going into. I call them your dark zones. It's going to feel really uncomfortable. You're going to sure. feel unstable. And we could do this in so many different ways by having like you on one leg and going into three different planes of motion. And I can expose people really easily. But the point is, is when you start exposing your brain, your nervous system to these end ranges, your body will then start to open up more because your brain's going to adapt. Sure. So like you doing a, you doing a snatch for example, Evan, and maybe it's at a certain weight or you finally hit a certain depth with it and your body's like learning how to stabilize overhead. That's great information because guess what? The next time that you go into it and maybe two to three weeks later, your brain will remember that position and figure things out. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we try to coach people into, okay, here's point A, Here's point B, and we try to take them along every step of the way. The brain never learns. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do is like, okay, here's point A, here's point B, figure it out. How are you going to get from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. Knowing full well that these people are going to fail, I'll put sure. them into those experiences and make the brain learn. I want them to fail. I want them to be able to experience that. And when they fail at these end ranges, the brain says, like, oh, we need, we're going to be going in here? Okay, let's start to develop these neural networks then to create stability around these joints or in these patterns. And right. that's how we start to improve our mobility. Like going into these splits, <laughs> the more and more I go into these, 
these ranges, the more and more uncomfortable I feel. I'm shaking all over the place. I'm about to fall over. But I allow myself to go in there. I allow myself to go in there and fail. I know I'm not going to hurt myself. And then two, three, four weeks later, you can get lower and lower and lower. And that's a natural adaptation process occurring. What's driving that goal for you? Why do you want to get your balls to the ground? (laughs) Great party (laughs) trick. No, it's a great party trick. No, no, no. Um, So, you know, I've I've played baseball for a long time. I was in, well, really sports, team sports for a very, very long time. And that was always the goal was athleticism and improving different facets of that power, speed, strength. And this is just, it's a goal that I've never had. Okay. And it sounded really interesting, and it's a new challenge for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, yeah, let's give it a go. And it, it like coincided it. really easily with uh, with all the handstand stuff, more body weight style calisthenic work. And it's it's really fun because I'm seeing a lot of progress, and it's working towards something I've never worked towards before. But now it's interesting because I'm at the point where I'm so close that my main mode of conditioning was sprinting. But okay. sprinting is now going to start detracting from my ability to get into these positions faster. So I've taken up boxing. So I'm doing some boxing now for the for the first time ever. Oh, cool! Three or four weeks. We got a heavy bag out out back Very now. Cool. I got a coach that comes two days a week. So once again, awesome. brand new movement pattern. He had me doing a uh, a triangle drill, like just going through those different positions into southpaw and the hooks and the crosses and the jabs yep. and all that. And my feet and hips were so fucking sore after the first day. That's mm. awesome different stimulus right yeah that's awesome you know change it up mix it up i got into a boxing a little bit last year one of my clients was big into boxing so he would come in on sundays and he'd bring his mitts in and some gloves and stuff i had a lot of fun with it man again same idea as what you're saying it's let's mix up some stimuluses let's do something you've never done before and just Mm -hmm. enjoy it too Mm. right let's let's have fun with your fitness and your strength and your abilities it's cliche that um they say variety is the spice of life (laughs) yeah but variety really is the key to longevity like as human beings, we have so much variety and movement patterns um, built within us. Like, think about this. We could run, we could sprint, we could throw shit, we could jump, we could hang from stuff, we could pull, we could push. There's a lot that yeah. we can swim. There's a yeah. lot that we can do. And we kind of pigeonhole ourselves into these, these same movement patterns over and over and over and over again. Our nervous system doesn't really like that too, too much. Once again, unless you're going for a performance goal. Yeah. Um, but from the longevity standpoint, like the more variety that you can get, the better your body's going to be. Very cool. Right. I think that's great advice. Mix it up, take your shoes Mix off, do a bunch of stuff. Develop your movement <laughs> patterns. Yeah, and I yep. think that's something, I mean, I think that's something we see in the gym a lot too is just uh, something that I know that I've always struggled with is this feeling that's like, this isn't working the way I want it to, so I'm going to go harder to get better at it. And and mm. just even I've been spending the last uh, what two months now we've been on this block since August of yeah. doing barbell club training, and it was like a few weeks of very low weight snatch balances and complexes and whatever we were doing, and just really drilling that movement pattern and getting my body to feel safe in those positions, and then watching these mm. like 25 pound PR jumps happen on stuff. It's um, magic. I know, but it's so simple. But then, you know, you definitely see people who come in and they go, I've been stuck at this snatch PR for the last year and a half. Yep. And every time we snatch, I'm going to come in and try and hit that I'm weight go again. I'm going to as possible. Yeah. And I'm never going to learn new movement patterns or reinforce anything. I'm just going heavy. Right. And it's not, and that idea that like, it's not, because I think that's the way I always looked at it. It's like, oh, it's a structural problem. I need to be stronger. I need to push up harder. I need to, you know, and so I'm just going to load it and try and do it more intensely. And then finding that like, no, I mean, I'm a strong dude relatively speaking coming into this but it's like my brain did not want to 
go down into a full depth squat with weight over my head because it mm-hmm. knew I would die. Yep. And so that's like, <laughs> you know, it's really like you it's trying to protect that you. on your neck and die. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and just that idea that like if you want, you know, I think there are a lot of great takeaways from this, but I think one of them is just like work on movement patterns. Don't worry about loading so much. And once your brain has all that dialed in, like the load will come with it, you know, yep. and then you can work yes. again on all the, the load side. And I think you do a really good job of programming that for, for barbell club and stuff. And, um, you know, it's a little tricky when you have a choose your own fake CrossFit class with what weights people throw themselves <laughs> at. But, uh, choose your own adventure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Pick <laughs> but, your own destiny. But if you can move well, you, you will be strong. You will be fast. You will move well and you won't be injured as much. And you'll feel really good about yourself and be confident in your body too. Right. Which is good for performance and longevity. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where it sort of ties back, ties that all back together into you, whether you're trying to be high performance or just live longer, like you can do that and it's going to work out for you either way. It's like every, and then this is what I I guess if we're closing things up, it'll kind of leave people with is we're all on our own different journey and we're all on this, um, this process of movement discovery, which I like to call it. And for me too, like going through the different stages of like team sports and powerlifting and strongman and CrossFit, and now it's like calisthenics and bodyweight movement, all that. There's different lessons that you learn along the way, as long as you're open and aware to take that information in, right? And figure out what's useful about that, because there are there is usefulness to every single facet of we'll quote, call it quote unquote fitness training. Yeah. Right? You can get something out of it and experience it all, learn something from it, and discover what you gravitate towards. It makes you feel the best and the more most robust and the most durable, and at the end of the day, the most confident in your body. Right. I agree. I think that's awesome advice. 100%. That's a good note to end on. So thanks so much for your time, Matt. It was great talking to you. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Thank you for having me. This is great.